0: The Twelfth Lesson of a Series of Lessons in Raja Yoga. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Arabella Grayson. A Series of Lessons in Raja Yoga by Yogi Ramasharaka. The Twelfth Lesson, Part One. The Twelfth Lesson Subconscious Influences In this lesson we wish to touch upon a certain feature of subconscious mentation that has been much dwelt upon by certain schools of Western writers and students during the past twenty years, but which has also been misunderstood, and alas too often misused, by some of those who have been attracted to the subject. We allude to what has been called the power of thought. While this power is very real and like any other of the forces of nature may be properly used and applied in our everyday life, still many students of the power of the mind have misused it and have stooped to practices worthy only of the followers of the schools of black magic. We hear on all sides of the use of treatments for selfish and often base ends, those following these practices seeming to be in utter ignorance of the occult laws brought into operation and the terrible reaction inevitably falling to the lot of those practicing this negative form of mental influence. We have been amazed at the prevailing ignorance concerning the nature and effects of this improper use of mental force, and at the same time at the common custom of such selfish, improper uses. This more particularly when the true occultist knows that these things are not necessary even to those who seek success by mental forces. There is a true method of the use of mental forces, as well as an improper use, and we trust that in this lesson we may be able to bring the matter sharply and clearly before the minds of our students. In our first course, the 14 lessons, in the several lessons entitled, respectively, Thought Dynamics, Telepathy, Etc., and Psychic Influence, We have given a general idea of the effect of one mind upon other minds, and many other writers have called the attention of the Western world to the same facts. There has been a general awakening of interest in this phase of the subject among the Western people of late years, and many and wonderful are the theories that have been advanced among the conflicting schools regarding the matter. But notwithstanding the conflicting theories, there is a general agreement upon the fundamental facts. They all agree that the mental forces may be used to affect oneself and others, and many have started in to use these mental forces for their own selfish ends and purposes, believing that they were fully justified in so doing, and being unaware of the web of psychic causes and effects which they were weaving around them by their practices now at the beginning let us impress upon the minds of our students the fact while it is undoubtedly true that people who are unaware of the true sources of strength within them may be and often are affected by mental force exerted by others it is equally true that no one can be adversely affected in this way providing he realizes the i within himself which is the only real part of him and which is an impregnable tower of strength against the assaults of others there is no cause for all of this fear that is being manifested by many western students of thought power who are in constant dread of being treated adversely by other people the man or woman who realizes the eye within may by the slightest exercise of the will surround himself with the mental aura which will repel adverse thought waves emanating from the minds of others nay more than this the habitual recognition of the eye and a few moments meditation upon it each day will of itself erect such an aura and will charge this aura with a vitality that will turn back adverse thought and cause it to return to the source from which it came where it will serve the good purpose of bringing to the mistaken mind originating it the conviction that such practices are hurtful and to be avoided This realization of the I, which we brought out in the first few lessons of the present series, is the best and only real method of self-protection. This may be easily understood when we remind you that the whole phenomena of mental influencing belongs to the illusion side of existence, the negative side, and that the real and positive side must of necessity be stronger. Nothing can affect the real in you, and the nearer you get to the real in realization and understanding, the stronger do you become. This is the whole secret. Think it over. But there are comparatively few people who are able to rest firmly in the I-consciousness all the time, and the others demand help while they are growing. To such we would say, creep as close to the realization of the I as possible, and rest your spiritual feet firmly upon the rock of the real self. If you feel that people, circumstances, or things are influencing you unduly, stand up boldly and deny the influence. Say something like this, I deny the power or influence of persons, circumstances, or things to adversely affect me. I assert my reality, power, and dominion over these things. These words may seem very simple but when uttered with the consciousness of the truth underlying them, they become as a mighty force. You will understand, of course, that there is no magic or virtue in the words themselves, that is, in the grouping of the letters forming the words, or the sounds of the words, the virtue resting in the idea of which the words are the expression. You will be surprised at the effect of this statement upon depressing or adverse influences surrounding you. If you, you who are reading these words now, feel yourself subject to any adverse or depressing influences, will then stand up, erect, throwing your shoulders back, raising your head, and looking boldly and fearlessly ahead, and repeat these words firmly and with faith, you will feel the adverse influences disappearing. You will almost see the clouds falling back from you. Try it now before reading further and you will become conscious of a new strength and power. You are perfectly justified in thus denying adverse influence. You have a perfect right to drive back threatening or depressing thought clouds. You have a perfect right to take your stand upon the rock of truth, your real self, and demand your freedom. These negative thoughts of the world in general, and of some people in particular, belong to the dark side of life and you have a right to demand freedom from them. You do not belong to the same idea of life, and it is your privilege, yes, your duty to repel them and bid them disappear from your horizon. You are a child of light, and it is your right and duty to assert your freedom from the things of darkness. You are merely asserting the truth when you affirm your superiority and dominion over these dark forces and in the measure of your recognition and faith will be the power at your disposal. Faith and recognition renders man a god. If we could but fully recognize and realize just what we are, we could rise above this entire plane of negative, dark world of thought. But we have become so blinded and stupefied with the race thought of fear and weakness, and so hypnotized with the suggestions of weakness that we hear on all sides of us, that even the best of us find it hard to avoid occasionally sinking back into the lower depths of despair and discouragement but let us remember this brothers and sisters that these periods of backsliding become less frequent and last a shorter time as we proceed by and by we shall escape them altogether some may think that we are laying too much stress upon the negative side of the question but we feel that what we have said is timely and much needed by many who read these lessons. There has been so much said regarding this negative adverse power of thought, that it is well that all should be taught that it is in their power to rise above this thing, that the weapon for its defeat is already in their hand. The most advanced student may occasionally forget that he is superior to the adverse influence of race thought and other clouds of thought influence that happen to be in his neighborhood. When we think of how few there are who are sending forth the positive, hopeful thought waves, and how many are sending forth continually the thoughts of discouragement, fear and despair, it is no wonder that at times there comes to us a feeling of discouragement, helplessness, and what's the use? but we must be ever alert to stand up and deny these things out of existence, so far as our personal thought-world is concerned. There is a wonderful occult truth in the last sentence. We are the makers, preservers, and destroyers of our personal thought-world. We may bring into it that which we desire to appear. We may keep there what we wish, cultivating, developing, and unfolding the thought-forms that we desire we may destroy that which we wish to keep out. The eye is the master of its thought-world. Think over this great truth, O student. By desire we call into existence. By affirmation we preserve and encourage. By denial we destroy. The Hindus, in their popular religious conceptions, picture the one being as a trinity, composed of Brahma, the creator, Vishnu, the preserver, and Shiva, the destroyer not three gods as is commonly supposed but a trinity composed of three aspects of deity or being the idea of the threefold being is also applicable to the individual as above so below the i is the being of the individual and the thought world is its manifestation it creates preserves and destroys as it will Carry this idea with you and realize that your individual thought world is your own field of manifestation. In it you are constantly creating, constantly preserving, constantly destroying, and if you can destroy anything in your own thought world, you remove it from its field of activity so far as you are concerned. And if you create anything in your own thought world, you bring it into active being so far as you are concerned and if you preserve anything, you keep it by you in effect and full operation and influence in your life. This truth belongs to the higher phases of the subject, for its explanation is inextricably bound up in the explanation of the thing in itself, the Absolute and its manifestations. But even what we have said above should give to the alert student sufficient notice to cause him to grasp the facts of the case and to apply the principles in his own life. If one lives on the plane of the race thought, he is subject to its laws, for the law of cause and effect is in full operation on each plane of life. But when one raises himself above the race thought, and on to the plane of the recognition of the real self, the I, then does he extricate himself from the lower laws of cause and effect, and places himself on a higher plane of causation, in which he plays a much higher part. And so we are constantly reminding you that your tower of strength and refuge lies in the higher plane. But nevertheless we must deal with the things and laws of the lower plane, because very few who read these lessons are able to rest entirely upon the higher plane. The great majority of them have done no more than to lift themselves partially onto the higher plane, and they are consequently living on both planes, partly in each the consequence being that there is a struggle between the conflicting laws of the two planes. The present stage is one of the hardest on the path of attainment, and resembles the birth pains of the physical body. But you are being born into a higher plane, and the pain after becoming the most acute will begin to ease, and in the end will disappear, and then will come peace and calm. When the pain becomes the most acute, Then be cheered with the certainty that you have reached the crisis of your new spiritual birth, and that you will soon gain peace, and then you will see that the peace and bliss will be worth all the pain and struggle. Be brave, fellow-followers of the path. Deliverance is nigh. Soon will come the silence that follows the storm. The pain that you are experiencing—ah, well do we know that you are experiencing the pain—is not punishment but is a necessary part of your growth. All life follows this plan. The pains of labor and birth ever precede the deliverance. Such is life, and life is based upon truth, and all is well with the world. We did not intend to speak of these things in this lesson, but as we write there comes to us a great cry for help and a word of encouragement and hope From the class which is taking this course of lessons and we feel bound to respond as we have done peace be with you one and all and now we will begin our consideration of the laws governing what we have called subconscious influence all students of the occult are aware of the fact that men may be and are largely influenced by the thoughts of others not only is this the case in instances where thoughts are directed from the mind of one person to the mind of another but also when there is no special direction or intention in the thought sent forth the vibrations of thoughts linger in the astral atmosphere long after the effort that sent forth the thought has passed the astral atmosphere is charged with the vibrations of thinkers of many years past and still possesses sufficient vitality to affect those whose minds are ready to receive them at this time and we all attract to us thought vibrations corresponding in nature with those which we are in the habit of entertaining the law of attraction is in full operation and one who makes a study of the subject may see instances of it on all sides We invite to ourselves these thought-vibrations by maintaining and entertaining thoughts along certain lines. If we cultivate a habit of thinking along the lines of cheerfulness, brightness, and optimism, we attract to ourselves similar thought-vibrations of others, and we will find that before long we will find all sorts of cheerful thoughts pouring into our minds from all directions. And likewise, if we harbor thoughts of gloom, despair, pessimism, We lay ourselves open to the influx of similar thoughts which have emanated from the minds of others. Thoughts of anger, hate, or jealousy attract similar thoughts which serve to feed the flame and keep alive the fire of these low emotions. Thoughts of love tend to draw to ourselves the loving thoughts of others which tend to fill us with a glow of loving emotion. And not only are we affected in this way by the thoughts of others, but what is known as suggestion also plays an important part in this matter of subconscious influence. We find that the mind has a tendency to reproduce the emotions, moods, shades of thought, and feelings of other persons as evidenced by their attitude, appearance, facial expression, or words. If we associate with persons of a gloomy temperament, we run the risk of catching their mental trouble by the law of suggestion, unless we understand this law and counteract it. In the same way, we find that cheerfulness is contagious, and if we keep in the company of cheerful people, we are very apt to take on their mental quality. The same rule applies to frequenting the company of unsuccessful or successful people, as the case may be. If we allow ourselves to take up the suggestions constantly emanating from them, We will find that our minds will begin to reproduce the tones, attitudes, characteristics, dispositions, and traits of the other persons, and before long we will be living on the same mental plane. As we have repeatedly said, these things are true only when we allow ourselves to take on the impressions, but unless one has mastered the law of suggestion and understands its principles and operations, he is more or less apt to be affected by it. All of you readily recall the effect of certain persons upon others with whom they come in contact. One has a faculty of inspiring with vigor and energy those in whose company he happens to be. Another depresses those around him, and is avoided as a human wet blanket. Another will cause a feeling of uneasiness in those around him, by reason of his prevailing attitude of distrust, suspicion, and low cunning. Some carry an atmosphere of health around them, while others seem to be surrounded with a sickly aura of disease, even when their physical condition does not seem to indicate the lack of health. Mental states have a subtle way of impressing themselves upon us, and the student who will take the trouble to closely observe those with whom he comes in contact will receive a liberal education along these lines. There is of course a great difference in the degree of suggestibility among different persons. There are those who are almost immune, while at the other end of the line are to be found others who are so constantly and strongly impressed by the suggestions of others, conscious or unconscious, that they may be said to scarcely have any independent thought or will of their own. But nearly all persons are suggestible to a greater or lesser degree. It must not be supposed, from what we have said, that all suggestions are bad, harmful, or undesirable. Many suggestions are very good for us, and coming at the right time have aided us much. But, nevertheless, it is well to always let your own mind pass upon these suggestions before allowing them to manifest in your subconscious mind. Let the final decision be your own, and not the will of another. Although you may have considered outside suggestions in connection with the matter. End of the twelfth lesson, part one. Recording by Arabella Grayson.